been in the book of Proverbs over the last several weeks, and uh, one of the key verses, uh, week one that I shared with you is Proverbs 4, 5, that says, get wisdom, develop good judgment, don't forget my words or turn away from them, don't turn your back on wisdom, for she will protect you. And so the Bible in the book of Proverbs, I love the book of Proverbs because, to be honest with you, it's a book that's just very simple, and it gives us some very simple truths from God's word. And uh, there are many times that we'll talk about complex things, but, but the truth of the matter is, as we're talking about the book of Proverbs, what we're doing is it's more of a topical series, and there's different types of preaching. So there's topical messages where you cover with kind of a broad brush a specific subject, and then you have expository messages, which I personally enjoy to preach more. So like in the book of Acts, we were talking, and, and, and in an expository message, you get into history and context and just a lot of details and so forth. But more uh, uh, in the book of Proverbs, it's more topical. So we're kind of talking about the subjects of wisdom, and we're painting them with a more broad brush. And so we're focusing on a bunch of scriptures related to a subject as opposed to expository preaching, which has kind of a main text that you stick with and so forth. And maybe that just doesn't matter to you, but I figured I'd tell you there's a difference. So we're talking about in the book of Proverbs, subjects like being a person of truth in a dishonest culture. We talked about the heart. And then the the third week we talked uh, about last week, uh, the words that we speak and the power that comes in the words uh, that we speak. And so today, would you please stand with me this morning as we give honor to God's word and turn to Proverbs 12, 26. Let me just share with you, hopefully I will get through uh, this. We may just break this message into two parts, and I'll continue next week. Uh, but I, I want to challenge you this morning to, to think with the same level that you did with weeks one, two, and three, because the subject that we're talking about this morning is in the subject of friendship, and I believe that if we're not careful, we can kind of compartmentalize certain things and say, well, friendship isn't a, a spiritual issue. Let's talk about some spiritual things, and I would say the reality is that everything is spiritual. And the book of Proverbs addresses the subject of our relationships and our, our friendships. So Proverbs twelve twenty six it says that the righteous choose friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Let's read this together this morning. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. I pray you would speak to each person that's here according to your will, your plan, and your perfect timing. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Dr. Wildred Funk, great last name, was asked to list 10 of the most expressive words in the English language. 10 of the most expressive words. And four of them stood out to me. He said that the most revered word in the English language is the word mother, the most beautiful word is the word love. And then he goes on, and the last two really stood out to me. The most bitter word is alone, and the warmest word is friendship. I think that's really true. That the most bitter word is, is alone, and the warmest word is friendship. I think he's exactly right. That each one of us, really, if you look biblically, we're designed for relationship. That you and I were never created to live in isolation. And one of the most fundamental truths about the Christian life is that you and I are created for relationship with God and then with others. From the beginning pages of Scripture in Genesis chapter 2 verse 28, we see the creation 
of man. And so basically Adam's given the task of, you know, overseeing the garden and so forth. And I mean, you put a guy in a garden, how many of you know at some point you're going to have problems, all right? So he's caring for the garden, he's naming the animals and so forth, and he's kind of doing his thing. And, and at some point in Genesis chapter 2:18, God kind of looks down and says, you know what, it's not good for this guy to be alone. And so we see the need for relationship. We see the need for companionship. We talked about this in the book of Acts as we were in Acts chapter 2 and the idea of koinonia or fellowship, that they were devoted themselves in the early church to teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. And there was this strong emphasis on relationship in the life of the early church. And yet we fast forward 2,000 plus years later, and I believe that when you look across the scope of our nation, there are many people that feel alone that they struggle with deep, significant, meaningful relationships. Lee Strobel, in his book, God's Outrageous Claims, said this, people will admit basically every problem. They'll admit drugs, divorce, alcoholism, but there's one admission that people loathe to make. Whether they're a star on the TV set or a star in the movies or whether they're simply a television repairman, he said it's just too embarrassing. It penetrates too deeply to the core of who we are. People don't want to admit that sometimes they feel alone. That loneliness, he says, is such a humiliating malady that it ought to have its own politically correct euphemism. He says relationally challenged. Or its own telethon, he said, anything to make it safer to confess that people feel lonely. Because right now it's taboo, an affliction of losers or mitzvists. And he says, to be honest, of respectable people like you and me. And whatever the reason may be why people don't want to either take the time or they don't want to open up, they don't want to trust They've been hurt too much in the past. They don't want to develop the perseverance that takes to develop meaningful relationships. Too many people have too little time to invest in deep, significant relationships. And this is one of the areas that I really believe that the Lord kind of pinpointed on our hearts earlier this spring as we decided to start Access Churches in the area of friendships and relationships. And you'll see it reflected in our core values. Biblical and, or we, we believe in practical, passionate and, per, bloop, passionate with purpose, biblical and practical teaching, spirit-led worship services, thriving relationships is number four, and then family-focused. Thriving relationships. That part of our culture as a church is that people can come, people can come for the first time or the second time, and they can connect, they can meet people. More than just kind of the high and by, the, the surface level relationships, but deep, meaningful, substantial relationships where people kind of do life together. It's one of the ways that I look to see if, if I believe that we're hitting the mark. Is, is this a culture, is this a church where people are developing and they're cultivating, are we creating an environment where thriving relationships take place? Because if I don't see that in the life of the church, I feel like the Lord's saying we've got to narrow our focus. That's one of the five specific areas of focus. My heart as a pastor is that people are connected in some way, shape, or form. 
You'll see off and on we'll mention our access teams, and I reference Mark as overseeing our, our setup team, and he's got such a great crew of men that are around them each and every week. But I believe that ministry thrives in an environment and is kind of energized when you have a team leader that's gifted in their specific area of ministry and the people that come alongside. And it's more than just filling tasks. It's more than just filling roles. It's more than jobs or responsibilities, but it's an, it's an opportunity for men or for women and, and so forth to develop develop relationships with one another. We're so fortunate. Every week we have about nine to 11 kids volunteers that are in our kids' rooms, and I thank God for them. But that it's more than just filling a role. It's more than even just ministering to the kids. It's an opportunity as well for those leaders to connect and to develop relationships. In his book, The Friendless American Male, David Smith said this. He said, our individualism and wealth have allowed us to minimize our contact with others to our detriment. He said, the problem of friendlessness exists in our churches today. Even, he said, Larry Richards in his report in this book said, in church we can sit together, sing together, greet one another cheerfully, and leave at the end of service. And we can do all of these things for years without forming any real personal Christian relationships. He said our words at times can be superficial. The church therefore becomes a place where Christians live alone together. And I say may that never be true about this place. That God designed you and I for relationship. And I want to share with you two definitions. You'll see them on the screen this morning. The first is by Mark Driscoll. It says this. This is the lens. It says that a friend is a trustworthy peer who whom we can mutually choose to lovingly live with by seeking unique access and service for the glory of God and our mutual good. The second definition is this. It says biblical friendship exists when two or more people bound together by common faith in Jesus Christ pursue him and his kingdom with intentionality and vulnerability. Rather than by serving as an end in and itself, biblical friendship serves primarily to bring glory to Christ who brought us into relationship with the Father. It is indispensable to the work of the gospel in the earth, and it is an essential element of what God has created us for. And so when I read these two definitions, if this is the aim, if this is the guide, if this is kind of what we're aiming to try to hit and to achieve then the truth is, man, my friendship list all of a sudden went from, you know, 2,562 Facebook friends, and now all of a sudden through this lens, the focus begins to narrow. And the Lord says to me as I was preparing this week, Zach, how many real biblical friendships do you have? Our culture, I believe the millennial generation specifically, which our community is filled with, those that were born between the years of 19, in the early 1980s and the early 2000s. The millennial generation specifically, I believe, is more concerned about followers than friendships, and they lack the wisdom and the experience to know the difference. That they're more concerned about people following them because of the age of the internet that we live in, because of, of the likes, because of the friend requests, because of all of the buzz that social media has created. There's this deception that so many are under that they believe that friendship is the same thing as people following them. And they lack the wisdom and experience to know the difference. And our role as the body of Christ is to model what true friendship really looks like. 
So I was thinking of it this way. Because so many of us, we, we say, well, I, I have tons of friends. I've got people around me all of the time. And so I didn't run this illustration by my wife, so this is dangerous. I'll just throw the disclaimer out there. But if you were to go into our bedroom, we have this large closet that we have put in. And uh, I thought it was a 50-50 split. Like I would get half and she would get half. And uh, it turned out to be about an 80-20, okay? And the 80 is, is ever so, you know, creeping into the, you know, I, I pretty much have a corner at this point. And so if you look at the bottom of my side of the closet, you're going to see some shoes, okay? You're going to see black, brown, white, and flip-flops. There may be two pairs of brown, there may be two pairs of white, but black, brown, white, and flip-flops. Now, husbands, how many of you, if you were to open your wife's closet and you look down, there's approximately 319 pairs of shoes. And you're like, what are all these for? You could like, you know, put shoes on a small village. And so they're, they're organized or they're categorized. You've got the professional shoes. You've got the casual shoes. You've got the comfy slippers. You've got, you know, the shoes that are the common interest shoes, you know, the running shoes and so forth. And they're all just kind of, you know, but there's piles of them, just piles of, these are the shoes that go with this outfit. They, and when I look at that, I think a lot of times we, we see friendship in that same way. We've got the friends that we're close with professionally, We've got the friends that were the kind of common interest friends. They're like the sneaker friends or the people that we hang out with, the buddies that you do X, Y, and Z with, or some of you ladies, you, you have some common interest friends. Others of you kind of have the comfy friends. They're the friends that you call when you, you need to just, you feel down and you need someone just to share and, and kind of express your woes to and so forth. But we, we tend to categorize our friends and we say, well, I've got these and we put them in car, you know, compartments almost and And the reality is that's so far from the biblical definition of friendship. And what I'm not saying this morning, I want to make sure that I'm clear with this, is I'm not encouraging you to disconnect in relationships that you have with people. Because I believe every connection point that you have with someone is the opportunity for you to minister to them, for you to pray for them, for you to represent Christ in that relationship and so forth. But I want this morning and probably again next week is for us to assess and to evaluate close friendships in our lives, true friendships. Because Proverbs 12, 26, it says the righteous, well, what is the righteous? Well, the Bible says it's those that are in right standing before God. That's you and me. It's not because of something that we've done. It's not because of something that we achieved. I believe it's, you know, of highest arrogance to believe that you achieve salvation, that you deserve it, that you're entitled to, or you're smart enough to get it. The Bible clearly says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 29, that God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we can be the righteousness of God. And so that it says that the righteous, those in right standing through relationship with Jesus, must choose friends carefully. And carefully is not necessarily the word that many adults will connect in the area of relationships. We'll embed that in the hearts and the lives of our kids and our teenagers and young adults. 
I mean, when we've talked about the subject of guarding our hearts carefully, we'd all say, yes, absolutely. We've got to carefully guard what we allow into our heart. Last week, as we were talking about the power of our words, that we need to be extremely careful in the words that we speak because it releases an atmosphere or an environment. And, and next week, or as we continue on in this series, we're going to talk about our finances and how we need to be so careful in the area of our finances so that we don't develop an unhealthy perspective of money. But I don't know that careful is a word that many adults would link to in our, in our friendships. It doesn't carry the same weight or the same significance. But the reality is the Bible says those that are in right standing with God, we've got to be very careful in the people that we associate, our close friendships. There's an old story of a young man that was far off from his father, and he wrote a letter to his dad hoping to shake some money out of him. So he wrote this. He said, Dad, I'm flat broke, a thousand miles from home. My car needs fixed, apartment needs updated, and I'm bored. What should I do? And the dad wrote back, Dear son, make some new friends. Make some new friends. Solomon, it shouldn't surprise any of us that he's got a lot to say in the book of Proverbs, because there's so much kind of down-to-earth wisdom about speech and temptation and so forth. But he says, choose and search or carefully select those friends that are closest to us. It's interesting, the word in the original language, it's kind of a primitive word, and we see the same word carefully. We see it used in Numbers 13 and verse 2, where the spies are sent out to carefully search the promised land. We see it in Numbers 10.33, as they're trying to find a resting place for the Ark of the Covenant that represented the presence of God. It says they went out on a three-day journey, and they carefully searched for a resting place for the Ark of the Covenant. And I believe it's with the same kind of weight, it's with the same emphasis of, of searching out, of finding a resting place for the presence of God that we've got to carefully choose the people that we surround ourselves with. And there are many benefits that we read through all throughout the book of Proverbs. It says in Proverbs 13, 20, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. So if you and I associate ourselves with people, our, our close friendships, if they're people that are walking in God's wisdom, the Bible says that you and I should be people that will desire wisdom and will be like them. It says in Proverbs 15, 22, Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. So it's more than just wisdom. Now, he goes on in Proverbs to say, you know, the, the plans are frustrated unless you surround yourself with the right counselors. And if you do, you will see great success. Proverbs twelve twenty five, Worry, the Bible says, weighs a person down. You ever feel just kind of a sense of heaviness or worry? says that it weighs us down spiritually, but encouraging words cheer a person up. There are so many benefits to surrounding yourself with the right people. And yet the truth is that there are so many barriers in our culture today as well. I think the biggest in church life is the, the lack of transparency. I mean, so many of us struggle with being authentic. I mean, you would never say that publicly. I, I'm sure very few of you would say, you know what, Zach, I just I struggle with being authentic and real in my relationships with people. But if we were to sit down at the waffle shop this week, if we were to sit down 
uh, and eat lunch together and just kind of have real talk, I think that many of us would say, you know what, at times we struggle with being authentic and opening up in our relationships with other people. And yet that's the basis that you begin to develop these type of relationships that I want to share with you over the next week or two. We have so much difficulty at times. We, 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 we just want to give the persona that we've got it all together. We want to you know, not admit that we have real needs, real pain, real issues. It can be as simple as like most of the weeks when we have people come up for prayer. There are some people that will sit back in your seats and you've got real struggles. You've got real hurt. You've got real issues that are going on in your physical body. But the barrier for you to come up front is almost you admitting publicly. And really, it has nothing to do with what people think about you. But to you and your spirit, it's like, man, if I do that, I'm, I'm, people are going to think that I'm struggling and that I have issues. And let me be the first to tell you that from me to Ashley to my family, we all got issues, right? Not my wife. She's perfect. But but just, just me. I'll just speak for myself. I got, I got things. And the more I grow in my relationship with Christ, you get over one thing, and the Lord's like, okay, now let's go on. Let's work on this one. It seems like a victory, and then all of a sudden the Lord, and it could be because we're constantly growing. Nobody arrives spiritually. Nobody arrives spiritually. It's the transparency factor is such a barrier in developing these relationships. The second is in the area of just being busy. Zach, I mean, I, you know my schedule. I've got a family. I've got a job. I've got two jobs. I'm just trying to keep up with the busyness and the pace of life and to invest in meaningful or thriving relationships. It just takes time, and that's not realistic with my schedule. I mean, friendship to some has just become optional in our culture because we've developed the American dream where we really don't need other people. So many professionals nowadays, you know, where decades ago, people would get a job in a specific career and they would stay in a community for 20, 30, 40 years. It seems like now people get their first job out of college as a professional and they're relocated in two years and then three years they're relocated and we're constantly on the move. And this is a challenge in our community because state college is filled with people that come to this place to get what they need and get out. And the Bible talks about marrying the land, being committed to a region, and yet we're, we're, we're a resource to so many people. Where they, and it's, it's an awesome thing, and it's a challenging thing at the same time. The wonderful benefit is that we have the opportunity to reach people that are coming from around the world. They're here for an education, but really that education is connected with their purpose in life. And if the gospel can kind of intersect, we can be a community that impacts people and then sends them around the world. What an amazing privilege. But the challenge is the people come into our community and they see it as a seasonal place. And so why invest in relationships? Why not just be superficial? Why not just kind of go with the flow for three, four, five years instead of investing in relationships? And we see that in our community. People are just too busy. They're here to get what they need and to leave. I think the third area is the deception area. Why have people around me all the time? And yet, I don't believe that people around you equates to people that are close to you. Some of the most miserable people when you study their lives in life are some of the most successful people. 
where they have a lot of people around them, answering to them, surrounding them professionally or whatever. But at the end of the day, they go home and they put their head on the pillow and they're alone. Why is it that drugs and alcohol and addictions are just so rampant in in the Hollywood industry? Well, they're surrounded by people that are around them, but they're not close to them. And I would say that casual friendships are the result of circumstance. Close friends are the result of choice. So the Bible says those that are in right standing with God, choose your friends carefully. So each one of these weeks as we've been talking about wisdom, that wisdom ultimately, I believe, finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 15. Verses 12 through 15, and then we'll close in a minute, and we'll pick up next week. This is my commandment. So Jesus is talking to his disciples, those that are close to him, those that he's invested relationship with. Jesus didn't invest his life in hundreds of people. He equipped a close group of followers, and then he sent them out. He says, this is my commandment. He says, this isn't something that I'm suggesting to you guys. This isn't a good idea. This isn't like something that I read. This isn't, you know, just some random thought. This is my expectation as a follower of Jesus that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, I wish it could have been a little bit more gray. I wish there was a little room for it to be a little subjective here. This is my commandment, love most of the people around you. (laughs) Love one another. And then he had to say this, as I loved you. Well, how did he love them? sacrificially, unconditionally, willing to lay down his life for them. He gave up absolutely everything for their sake. And now he's saying, my expectation of you as my follower is do like I have done, unconditionally, sacrificially, willing to give everything for your brother and sister. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I've commanded you. No longer do I call you servants. This is an awesome portion of scripture. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Jesus says my expectation of my followers, my commandment, my commission. Love one another. The people that hate you, yeah, love them. The people that disrespect you at work, love them. That coach that doesn't put your kid out on the game but always puts his son out all the time and you want to go over and like wring the guy's neck, what's my role as a Christian? Love them. That teacher that has the issue with my kid, right? 
That one, it's always my kid. It's always my kid. And my kid's the exception. What do I do as a Christian? Love them. Thank God he didn't say like them. <laughs> Make Thanksgiving meals really awkward. Husbands, mother-in-laws, what is your role as a Christian? Love her. We had a wonderful trip this week to Ohio, just spending time with our family and are just so thankful to God that we have great relationships with both sides of our family. But how many of you know in some, in some family situations, there's some very deep-rooted issues? People that know the Lord, people that don't know the Lord, and everything in between. But your role as a Christian in that family is what? unconditionally, sacrificially, willing to give up everything. You love that person. And we need the help of the Holy Spirit, don't we? Oh, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. We see so many of these wonderful friendships modeled to us in Scripture. Abraham and Lot, Ruth and Naomi, David and Jonathan, Elijah and Elisha. Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, Paul and Timothy, Jesus with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We'll close by, I want to share just three quick tidbits, and then we'll kind of get into the deep meat of this next week as we talk about what a real true friend does in a relationship, and we'll get there next week. But Proverbs gives us many tidbits, and I want to challenge you to go home this week and read about the subject of Proverbs in the area of friendship, and see how many just kind of pieces of information it gives about our friendships. Proverbs 22, 24. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. (laughs) If you're married, too late. (laughs) As the worship team, you guys can come back. Don't associate with the one that's easily angered. Ah, that can't be real. That can't be true. Those that are in right standing with God, choose your friends carefully. It goes on to say in Proverbs 20, 19, a gossip betrays confidence, so avoid anyone that talks too much. I won't go there. (laughs) Those that are in right standing with God, what? Choose your friends carefully goes on to say in Proverbs 14, 7, stay away from a fool, for you will not find knowledge on their lips. Over and over in Proverbs, we've got these bits and we've got these pieces of information that we can take and apply to the area of our relationships. And we'll get deeper in this next week. I just want to have a little fun. Is that all right? Those that are in right standing with God, choose your friends carefully. You can tell a lot, I believe, about someone's life if you look at the people that they closely associate with. I'm not talking about, you know, casual acquaintances or the shoe people, you know, those that you hang out with and you play racquetball with or those of you that you go running together, those you work with or have over on the weekend. I'm talking about real, deep, significant, meaningful, thriving relationships. And the Bible gets very specific in the book of Proverbs. And so next week, we're going to talk about what those type of friends look like so that we can surround ourselves with those people and that you and I can be those type of people. Would you stand with me this morning?
Lord, we thank you for your word today. Your word says that the grass withers, that the flower fades, but that God, your word endures forever. Jesus, there's nothing like your word. Lord, even this morning, as we just kind of brushed briefly with the subject of of friendships, Lord, I pray that even now, Lord, you would help us to evaluate the people that we closely surround ourselves with. Lord, next week, as we talk about the subject of sharpening relationships, calling one another out, accountability, and just so many things. Lord, I pray that you would begin to kind of peel back layers in our minds. You would deal with heart issues, those that struggle with trust and being vulnerable. Lord, I pray next week that, Lord, you would just begin to release those things from the surface. Lord, so that we can be more like you. Jesus, you modeled so much what it meant to invest in the disciples. And, Lord, I pray that we would be people that spend and invest our lives in others. That it would be a mark not only of this church, but most importantly, a mark of us as a follower of of yours. Lord, I thank you for each person that's here today. Pray that you go with them, that you surround them with your presence, that you would be with them as they go to work tomorrow, as they're at the grocery store this afternoon or at a restaurant. Lord, I pray that they would speak truth and love, that they would represent you in every way. But for those that are struggling, physically in in their bodies. Lord, I pray that you would do a miracle in their bodies. Lord, for those that need healing in relationships, Lord, I pray that you would touch them today. Lord, that you would be with us, that you would go with us from this place. In Jesus' name.